Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and this is the first time I preached with a statue in front of me. Um, last Sunday, we had uh, Dave and Jessica Wolf with us. Dave led us in worship, and they have been prayerfully uh, considering the worship pastor opening that we've uh, had here at Cross Point, and so I've been sharing that with you over the last couple weeks, and just want to encourage you to continue to pray. Uh, it was very um, affirming for them, very encouraging for them, as well as it was very encouraging for us as an elder team to hear uh, what the Lord has been putting on your heart and the affirmations of that uh, through the body of Christ. And so uh, they, as an, as an elder team, we basically said, the, said to them this last week, we'd love to have you here. Um, and so they're praying and considering that, and uh, we should find out the next few, few days. So, so we want the Lord's will to be done. We want His wisdom to lead. And, uh, and so I encourage you to be praying for uh, Dave and Jess and their household as they seek the Lord's wisdom and will, because one of the encouraging truths from the Scriptures is James reminds us that when we ask for wisdom, the Lord is faithful to generously give to His kids, His sons and daughters, His wisdom. And so, so that's what we pray, is that the Spirit would, would lead and His will would be done. So thanks for uh, praying, church family. If you have a Bible, with I, which I hope you do get to uh, Luke chapter 23, we looked at Palm Sunday at the end of January, not because our calendar is mixed up, but because we are tracking along in the Gospel of Luke, and so we finish up Luke here in a couple weeks, the Sunday after Easter, and today we are in verses 44 through 56. This Friday, Good Friday, we will be at Eureka Bible. For several years now, we've been gathering alongside them, alternating locations, and so this Sunday, or this Friday, we will be at their location, 7 p.m., their worship team will be leading us. I'll be preaching. It's a chance for the larger body of Christ to gather together, to take communion together, to sing together, to open up our Bibles together, to be reminded of the larger body of Christ and how the, the Lord is at work there. So I encourage you to be a part of that, 7 p.m. At Good Fr on, on Friday at Eureka Bible. And then next Sunday, Easter morning, 10 a.m., we'll be here, all the generations together in one room. Sun Chasers does not meet on Easter. This is a chance for the, the people of God, the, the larger community, to be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that changes everything. So I encourage you to invite uh, friends and neighbors and invite others to join with you. I encourage you to get here early. Uh, two years ago, there were five people in this room. You don't remember this because you were probably sitting on your couch. Um, five people in this room. Last year, we had two services. This year, we're having one service. We're going all in. So, so scoot further up than where you normally sit on a Sunday morning, park further away, invite people, let's be reminded of the resurrection, let's, let's see the gospel proclaimed, and let's enjoy this larger celebration that we'll have next Sunday. So I might even break out a suit jacket, Chris and Norma, so that's just for you. Um, all right? Okay, that, was, that turned awkward there. Um, all right, a question to uh, get us started. Who have you entrusted your life and soul to? Who have you entrusted your life and soul to? Maybe a better way to say it is, who are you actively entrusting your life and soul to? About a month ago, my favorite college professor, Dr. Hughes, stopped into the office. We had uh, reconnected, I think it was summer of 20, actually, when he uh, came here for some of our outdoor services. I went to school at Eureka College and graduated with an elementary education degree. And Dr. Hughes was one of my education professors. 
And so he stopped in a month ago and said, hey, Carol and I are downsizing our home and, and we have some statues that are not going to be able to make the trip from large home into smaller home here in Eureka. And I've got the statue of a shepherd boy, this one, carrying a sheep, and I thought of you, and I wanted to know if you wanted, if you wanted it. I told him, uh, I haven't been a big statue guy thus far in my life. Um, 45 years in, maybe that's going to change. Uh, but considering he thought of me, uh, when he thought of the statue and wanted to give it to me, uh, I'd be honored to receive it, truly. And Dr. Hughes left, and I cried, actually, because it was a timely a gift of encouragement, a timely picture for me to be reminded of in pastoral care, let alone in my walk with the Lord and, and me entrusting myself to Him. It was a timely encouragement from a man who I dearly, dearly love. And he brought up, and it, the way he described it initially in that first meeting was, it's kind of like, the statue is kind of like this. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, bookcase, we'll do that. Uh, and so um, him and Carol came back the next uh, week and said, hey, I, I need some help to get the statue, and I'm like, okay, here, um, and so this is the statue, and it comes with a stand, and uh, it's going to live in my office for years on end, and some of you might have stopped in my office or walked by and thought, what's the statue going, what's, what's up with that, and that's the story, and it's a good picture of, for me to be reminded of the pastoral work that I've been called into. Uh, frankly, I've never done shepherding work with so little clothing on, um, <laughs> So I might need to get the guy a pair of jeans or a pullover or something. Um, he might go home at some point. But, and he's, he's going to not live there anymore. So he's at least going to get off the stand. So who are you entrusting your life and soul to? Who are you resting upon? Whose shoulders are you resting upon? In the scriptures, one of the pictures of God's people is that of sheep. John 10, Jesus is good shepherd, we are sheep. 1 Peter 5, elders are sheep, but also under shepherds to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. In general, the metaphor that we are sheep is not a compliment. Watch this. <laughs> so, you've probably, have you seen this video before? Yes. If you Google, I Googled to try to find it again, sheep, ditch, like these kind of things, there's a variety of <laughs> dumb sheep videos. I'm not sending you into a wormhole of YouTube, but there is a wormhole there of dumb sheep videos. Being called a sheep is not a compliment. Being compared to sheep in the Scriptures reminds us that we are in desperate need of His care his protection, His leading, His grace, His wisdom, His power. And Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down His life on a Friday, took it back up on a Sunday, and so God's people are those who have said, I'm entrusting you, Jesus, with my life and my soul. I'm resting in you upon your sufficient and saving shoulders. I'm seeking to be led by you. Whether life is green pastures or it's dark valley of suffering or struggle, either way, I'm humbly entrusting my life to your care, your protection, your leading, because man's ways lead to ditches over and over and over. Jesus Christ leads us to life, life even in dark valleys, because His goodness will follow us all the days of our lives, Psalm 23 tells us. 
Who are you entrusting your life and soul to, loved ones? So may your lips say Jesus, but may, even more so, your life actually reveal that. Your daily way of life. I'm entrusting my soul and life to you, Jesus. In the passage we're looking at today, we see Jesus actively entrusting himself to the Father. In the midst of his own suffering and death, in the midst of horrific circumstances and massive injustice, calmly and confidently entrusting himself to the Father. And friends, Jesus went first so that we might follow, so that we might follow his example, transferring trust away from ourselves and onto him, for our ways lead to death and ditches, his ways lead to life. Luke 23, verses 44 through 56, it's Friday of the Passion Week. Next week is Easter, all the light and life that come with it. Today, this passage, this Friday is dark. There's death, there's grief. And yet, even in the midst of the darkness, we see a demonstration of hope, a new beginning. Even in the darkness of this day, because the gospel story never ends in darkness, there's always hope. For our God is ever-present. He's more than able. Verse 44, Jesus is hanging upon the cross. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, entrust, or, Father into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. The crucifixion of Jesus began around 9 a.m. on Friday. It lasts roughly six brutal hours from 9 a.m. to, to 3 p.m. He's been hanging, them, hanging there, lifting himself up to breathe with, with hands that are nailed and feet that are tied, undergoing excruciating pain, let alone all the mocking and ridicule that's happening around him. And Luke accounts for two physical realities that occurs that occur, that both of which reveal spiritual realities. First of all, from noon until 3 p.m., the sky goes dark. When the sun was the strongest in the sky, it's completely dark. The Passover celebration that, that happened, that's happening in Jerusalem at the time is held at, at a full moon. A natural eclipse of the sun is impossible during a full moon. This is a supernatural darkness covering the whole earth that is revealing that what is transpiring on this hillside is not some local, isolated incident. It has implications upon the history of humanity around the globe. Darkness is associated with death, and this is a moment of earthly death. From an earthly perspective, it would appear that this moment is, is one of great victory for our spiritual enemy who loves the things of darkness and death. And that the last breath of Jesus, it would appear, is one of great defeat for the people of God. It would appear as if, but, but we're gospel people, so we know Sunday's coming. We know resurrection is coming. In the midst of this great darkness, another physical reality occurs that shouts to us a spiritual reality that, that lifts our chins toward hope. That again reveals to us the death of Jesus has implications on the course of history and upon my life and your life. The end of verse 45 says, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. This is referring to the temple in Jerusalem, which is the center of religious life, of Jewish religious life at the time. 
And the curtain that was split divided the Holy of Holies, the earthly dwelling where God's presence dwelt, where only a high priest could enter. It divided the, that from the rest of the temple where, where others gathered to worship. Even the high priest was, was only allowed to pass to the other side of the curtain once a year, and in doing so, the high priest made atonement for the sins of the Israelite people. The curtain itself was around 60 feet high. That's triple the height of the curtain behind me, give or take. Jewish tradition said it was around four inches thick, made of majestic colors of blue and purple and scarlet. And this curtain was a reminder of the majesty, the purity, the holiness of the Lord whose presence was on the other side of it, as well as a reminder that that the people on this side of it were not holy and not majestic and not righteous, that they had fallen short of the glory of God and that their sin separated them from His goodness, from His holiness. The sky goes dark for hours. Jesus breathes His last breath, darkness and death. And yet, Luke says the curtain was split down the middle, down, not up. Matthew 27, 51 notes that it's from top to bottom. So who is the one making a way for an unholy people to enter into a relationship with the Holy Lord? Who is making the way? The Lord Himself is. It's from top to bottom. Heaven is making a way. Not man from earth forcing His way in, working His way into a relationship with the holy and perfect God. No, the Father is making a way for a lost and rebellious people on this side, to be saved from eternal judgment brought into the family of God. And and the way is through the sacrifice, the death of His Son. Jesus, who took, or who the the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us is, is our high priest. So the function of the high priest was to go to the other side of the curtain once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And the role of the high priest in the Old Testament points our eyes forward. As we read the Old Testament, it points our eyes forward to Jesus, who ultimately will be the one who will mediate between a holy God and an unholy people. He will make atonement for, meaning cover our sin through His death upon the cross. Listen to Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of of the blood of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' work on the cross was enough. It was sufficient to atone for, cover all sin, past, present, future. This is why John 19.30 records that Jesus said it is finished on the cross because the debt of sin was paid in full. The old covenant has been fulfilled in Christ. The new covenant of grace has come and been established and now the curtain is torn and the way into relationship with the holy God is available for all people, Jew and Gentile. The curtain tearing does not mean that all people are automatically saved. It does mean that all are invited to repent and trust in Jesus Christ and His sufficient saving work on the cross. 
that no one is beyond the grace of God to save. John 10 tells us that Jesus is our good shepherd and compares him to the the gate or the door to the sheep pen. And so to enter into relationship with the Lord is through faith in Jesus, the, the good shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture, meaning go out and find life, abundant life. Even when pastures are dry and dark, still finding life, still finding hope. The death of Jesus has torn the curtain of separation and made a way possible, loved ones. Are you trusting in Jesus, the good shepherd? He willingly went to the cross, compelled by love. He went first so that you might follow. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, he says. He's quoting Psalm 31.5. And I want you to see something. The Lord Jesus is in complete control. To the people watching this terrible scene, it doesn't seem that way at all. It would seem that the Romans are in control or the Uh, The mob mentality of the crowds shouting crucify him are in control, and yet he's in control. He's been there for hours. He's still able to speak. I'm not diminishing or discounting the agony that he's in. None of us can even wrap our minds around the excruciating pain that it is, that a crucifixion is. I am saying that he will determine when his last breath will be. No one there will take his, death, take his life from him. No Roman centurion, no crowd, no leader. He will willingly lay down his life, take his last breath when he decides to. He gave of his body and life when he wanted to. No one there ended it. And so there is no panic, no desperation, no call for deliverance. No thinking, what was I thinking? No frustration. In the midst of the worst form that humanity has ever come up with to kill someone, there is an absolute calm, assured confidence in the Father. The Father will not abandon him. Even in this, in the midst of trouble, suffering, even your future death, and yes, we will all die. None of us will escape that. Do you have that kind of assurance that Jesus has upon the cross? Or are you hoping it's going to work out? Are you hoping you will? Do you have this calm confidence that the Father will not forsake His kids? It's only through faith in Him that we can. A peace that surpasses understanding. I have sat with people through the suffering of cancer and watching them die of that and yet seeing a calm confidence and a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I've also seen the opposite. What are you and I going to do today to pursue a a posture that Jesus had upon the cross entrusting Himself to the Father? A rest that will not abandon you a rest in that He will not abandon you and that nothing can separate you from His love, including even death. Listen to what Jesus says later in John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life 
and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He gives eternal life. We don't earn it because if we went out and earned it, then that means we could lose it. No, He gives it. It's a gift to receive, and so we are secure in that. No one is greater than our Father in heaven, my fellow brothers and sisters. No one, including our spiritual enemies. So just as Jesus can entrust His Spirit to the Father, so we can rest in the Father's hands. When my kids were little, now they're 22 and 20 and going on 23 and 21. But when they were smaller, I used to love holding their hands. Eli, you and I can hold hands later if you'd like to. We haven't been holding hands as much lately. And since last June, June 25th, I haven't been holding my daughter's hand as much. But that's a side note. But when they were smaller, we'd be walking in a crowd or in a vacation or on a vacation or something like that, and their tiny little paws in my big paw, and they're holding on, but ultimately, they're not held securely in my hand by their little might. No, Dad's got them. And when they're prone to be like, I want to go on my own. Nope, Dad's got you. Dad's got you. Or when they're holding on mightily, Dad's got you. The same is true. The same reality is true here that Jesus is saying in John 10. No matter what you're facing in your life, even in terrible suffering, that might even lead to your death, the Father's got you. He's holding you fast. And while it feels like on our side that we are clinging to Him, and we should be, we should be clinging to the rock that He is, running to Him as our refuge, opening up the Word, finding our hope in Him, gathering with other believers to find that, and, and allowing the Word to dwell richly among our gathering, all of that is true. Ultimately, it's the Father holding you securely in His hands. Jesus dies. Verses 47 through 49, we see the reaction of some of the people who witnessed it. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, this man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. The centurion, who was commander of Roman soldiers, has seen people crucified before. But there's something different about Jesus than all the rest. He's never seen the sky go dark for hours on end when a common criminal is killed. He's never felt the earth shake when a murderer was killed. The centurion recognizes that the death of Jesus, while approved of by Roman leadership, was a great injustice because criminals are crucified, not the righteous. The guilty are nailed to a cross, not the innocent. And the centurion declaring that Jesus was righteous is not simply an observation. This is an act of praise, of worship, of confession, of trust in the one on the middle cross. The crowds who earlier had shouted for His crucifixion and shown up to watch the spectacle, instead of being entertained, they, they leave beating their chests in grief, recognizing the wrong that it was in calling for His death. And what we can also assume is that some of the same people who walked away beating their chests in grief are also the, some of the same people who, who later on in Acts 2 are among the crowds when, when a Spirit-empowered Peter is preaching to them. And he says this, Acts 2, 36-38, 
At the end of this message, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's, he's speaking to... We can assume that a lot of the same people who walked away from the spectacle of the cross, beating their chest, thinking they've done too much wrong. Verse 37, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thousands come to trust in the faithful shepherd, Jesus, who is risen from the dead, and follow that inward step of repentance and faith with the outward step of baptism. And every day since then, the global family of God has been growing since, daily adding to the number those who are being saved. Is today the day that you follow in the pattern of Acts 2 and the crowds that entrusted themselves to Jesus and then followed that step through baptism? If so, talk to a leader here. Talk to somebody, a friend, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Talk to somebody before you leave. Verses 50 through 56. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been placed. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So we're introduced to Joseph, who, is a, who we learn is a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the Jewish religious court that gave the consent to put Jesus to death. And yet we learn that Joseph must have been absent from or did not agree with their plan, must not have been there for the vote. John 19.38 tells us that Joseph while a member of the Sanhedrin was more importantly a disciple and follower of Jesus. In an effort to honor the body of Jesus, he takes the lead on his burial. Romans were, were known to sometimes grant the body to friends or family following their crucifixion. And so to, for Joseph to make this request of Pilate, who's just approved of this death, and the crowds that are in an uproar in the city that is well populated right now, just bustling and maxing out. For Joseph to make this request shows that he deeply wanted to honor Jesus as well as a, a desire, a, a courage, a bravery in Joseph to make this request. He had a family tomb that could serve as, Joseph's, or as Jesus' burial. Matthew 27, 60 tells us that Joseph prepared this tomb for himself and his family. So it is unused at this point. In all of this, Joseph is not anticipating or thinking resurrection. He's simply wanting to honor the body of the man Jesus who, who he had begun to follow and trust in. And yet in three days, Joseph's grief will be lifted. The tomb will be empty. It is mid to late afternoon on Friday. Friday was the day of preparation when the Jewish people began or prepared for the Sabbath, which was Saturday. So work could not be done on the, on the Sabbath. So as Friday is nearing the end, as it's getting near sundown, the burial had to be completed quickly. And Joseph 
wasn't working in secret. Luke records the women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, spices intended to honor the body and perfumes intended to hide the odor. And in all of this, the disciples, the 11 at this point, are noticeably absent. Because again, just like Jesus, or just like Joseph, just like the women, no one is thinking resurrection. No one is anticipating what Sunday will bring. And listen, if, if Jesus does not rise from the dead on Sunday morning, you and I should not entrust our lives and souls to a dead man. It would be like me of, well, I'm from Illinois, so um, I entrust my life and soul to Abraham Lincoln. Right, it sounds like nonsense. It's like, honest Abe, huh? That's who you're going to go with? He's a good guy. I'm going to trust my life and soul to him. And it would mean utterly nothing. And loved ones, it's the same silly idea, foolish idea, that when you and I are saying, I'm going to entrust my life to me because we're all going to die. I know it's really happy if the sun's out and it's the reality. I've never done a funeral not being reminded of that reality. And age doesn't matter. Your health doesn't matter. We're all going to die. No one escapes that. But friends, Jesus isn't still in a borrowed tomb of Joseph. He's still not hanging on a cross. His body is no longer wrapped in grave linens. He rose from the dead, seen in the flesh by hundreds of people. Death is undefeated in the human race. I don't care how well you take care of the temple, how well you work on the temple. The temple is wasting away in this life. But the God-man Jesus, no, He's undefeated as it relates to death. He beat death. And for us to look at the brutality of the cross and His death and the truth that of all deaths, that's the one He came back from? That's the one He beat? He came back from that? And, to, and for us to look at that reality and go, eh, I think I can do better. I think I, I'm better entrusting myself to me. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's a lie from the devil who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. It is demonic, frankly. To believe this lie from the serpent from Genesis 3 that, well, I think I can be my own king and queen. I think life is more fo better found when I am my own king and queen. It's nonsense, and it is demonic. Loved ones, turn from this lie. Entrust yourself to the faithful shepherd Jesus who went first so that you and I could follow, so that the way, the way could be made, so the curtain could be torn from top to bottom, so all the past, present, and future sin could be atoned for and covered through faith alone and not by works, so that the darkness and death of a Friday would not be the end of the story for those who trust in Jesus. For the dark and the demonic would be crushed by the light and life of Jesus, the risen one. Only an act of God can bring about new hope and new life in the midst of darkness that has covered the entire earth. And the Lord has done it. He's done it. He continues to do it. We enter 
through him, not around him, not over him, not through some other person, but through Jesus, the righteous one. Forsake the lie that your life is best entrusted to yourself. We are sheep in desperate need of a good shepherd because we are prone to ditches. We are prone to muck and mire, and by the grace of God, we've been lifted out of the muck and mire, put our feet, our life upon a rock, and trust yourself to the good shepherd who, who we can cast all our cares upon, all our anxieties because he cares for us, who will not forsake us, but has promised to be near, including when we are brokenhearted, who we can trust even in suffering or trial or test because his life shouts to us that the suffering of a Friday is temporary. It is temporary. It wasn't eternal for the Lord Jesus. It is not eternal for those who trust in him. His resurrection promises the resurrection of all, all those who trust in him. Light and momentary compared to the glory that is to come. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest in his grace today, loved ones. Rest upon his sufficient and strong and eternal, all-knowing, all-wise shoulders. Rest in the palm of the Father's hand, the Father who is greater than all. Rest in the Spirit who dwells in all believers, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Entrust not just your eternal lives and souls, but entrust tomorrow. Entrust your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your private life, your public life. Entrust your life to the Lord who is faithful to a thousand generations. Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. We're going to move into a time of communion. This is a time for us to be, to be reminded, in this case, as we look at this passage, that Jesus is our high priest, sufficient, saving, the one who mediated, who bridged the gap between a holy God and unholy people through the work of a cross. It's an opportunity to be reminded of, of his death that he willingly gave of, his life that he willingly gave of, his sacrificial death, his selfless death, and then he took it back up, his life on the third day. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to take communion. Our First Impressions team will begin passing out uh, the trays, and then we will take the elements together as one uh, body of Christ afterwards. But use this time for a prayerfulness, a a reflection, a, a time for us to remember and express gratitude, to repent where the Spirit is leading us, know that, knowing that He is faithful and just.
the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Now, Jesus, we worship you for being such a faithful and good shepherd to our souls, to our lives, to our daily way of life, to our eternal life that you have given to us. Thank you for being our mediator, our high priest. Thank you for bridging the gap of our sins so that through faith in you, we could be brought into a relationship with our triune, eternal God. Thank you that while Good Friday was the darkest of days, there was still hope. The curtain has been torn top to bottom. You've made the way possible. As sheep entrusting ourselves to your care and protection, help us live with open hands, repenting from that tendency in all of us to trust ourselves. You providentially placed us into this world to be in it, not of it. Give us spiritual eyesight to see the darkness that is around us and empower us through your spirit of life and light to shine brightly for your glory. Enable us to worship well this week, knowing that we, your people, are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We've been bought at a price, the price of you, Jesus, the Son. Enable our worship this week to push back the darkness. Lord, we are your people. Empower us to worship you well, proclaiming the praises of you who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May you continue to save and rescue the lost this week. May you get the glory alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our good and chief shepherd. Amen. Psalm 16. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of, the, of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasures.